Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. So we're going to continue in a series that we've been in starting last week that we're simply calling The Long-Awaited Hope. And this morning, I want to continue in this series, but today I want to move back to the Old Testament. Oftentimes, when we're doing a Christmas series, we hang around the book of Matthew or maybe into Luke, and we're looking at the story of Mary and Joseph and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men and all the what to do that happened around the nativity that day, that very first Christmas morning. But I want to go back to the Old Testament, to a time when the prophet Isaiah first prophesied about the Messiah. He first uh, told about the coming of Jesus. Now, this particular prophecy occurred approximately 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. Talk about a long-awaited hope. How many of you in the room today, or maybe even those watching online this morning, how would you like to have to wait 700 years for your hope to be fulfilled? That's exactly what happened to the Jewish people. Isaiah spoke of the coming Messiah in a time when the people, for the last 100 years, had not known any peace. It had been an upheaval. The northern kingdom of Israel was in a constant state of war. Why? Because of rebellion? Because of disobedience? against God over and over again. God had sent people their direction, people known as prophets, to warn them of a coming disaster. And over and over, they rejected this news. Many times, they even killed the prophets. Then disaster strikes and their nation is overthrown by another nation. One bit of hopelessness, one bit of unrest after another. That's the life that they were living in the Middle East during the time when Isaiah began to prophesy. Where is the long-awaited hope? And then I come to today, to the year 2020. It has certainly been an interesting year, yes? I believe this is the longest year of my life. Yeah, it's 365 days, but I believe that every one of those are, are multiplied time and time again. Not a single one of us have ever experienced a year like 2020 before. So as we enter into this Christmas season, this most wonderful time of the year, what do we do with the outside forces that are attempting with all of their might to push aside the hope the joy, the peace that God wants to give us and replace it with division and fear. That's what I want to look at this morning. Let me state that again. What do we do with the outside forces that are attempting with all of their might to push aside hope? Have you experienced that yet? To push aside the the joy 
This is supposed to be the most joyous, wonderful time of the year, but many of us are living in fear day in and day out. There's division, there's strife, there's discord, there's hurt, there's struggle. What do we do with all of this? Let's take a look at the prophecy that Isaiah made in regards to the Messiah. I'm going to read it in its entirety this morning, then we're going to break it apart just a little bit. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, in my Bible, the title of this section is Hope in the Messiah. You see, that truly is our long-awaited hope. Our hope is not in a political figure. Our hope is not in the fact that a vaccine comes or a vaccine doesn't come. Our hope is not in the fact that coronavirus will disappear. Our hope is not in the fact that 2020 will come to an end. But our hope is founded in Jesus Christ. He is our long-awaited hope. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulder. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born for us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's army will make this happen. Now, if I was to move back just one verse earlier to the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, we find our text this morning. Isaiah starts this section with these words, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. How can he make such a statement? How can he say that this time of strife, this time of difficulty, this time of, time of division and fear, how can he say that it's not going to last forever? Because a few verses later he says, for unto us a child is born. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And he's not just saying, hey, Jesus is going to come so that you have a holiday in the midst of the cold season. He's not saying Jesus is going to come so that you can wrap presents and give them to everybody. 
No, he says, you will receive the Messiah, his purpose, his reason for existence, his reason for coming to this earth, his reason for becoming man like you and I is to die on the cross so that you can have hope. For unto us a child is born. Today I want to give you the first three revelations. I'm going to touch the fourth one. But the next week I'll give you the final. I'm going to give you six revelations, six things that we see in Isaiah's prophecy. Are you ready for them this morning? I would encourage you, take really good notes. You can go to the Version app. You can go to our church app. You can go to the website. You can grab one of the paper copies in the back, however you need to. But just take really good notes this morning. The first revelation is this. There is a light amidst the darkness. There is a light amidst the darkness. Verse 2 of Isaiah 9 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of darkness, a light will shine. Would you agree with me today that this world that we live in offers anything but light? It offers darkness on a regular basis. It offers despair, disappointments, gloom. Yet here, the Bible says that the true light, a true hope, is offered. And in fact, the phrase land of deep darkness literally means those that walk at death's door. That's darkness. Those that walk at death's door. Now, maybe for you this morning, that's not physical death. Maybe you're in the prime of life. Maybe you're the healthiest you've ever been your entire life. So maybe for you, it's not a physical death, but maybe you walk right in the midst of emotional death, spiritual death relational death. You find yourself surrounded by the darkness that this world offers time and time and time again. Can I tell you this morning that there is, in fact, a long-awaited hope of lights available for you this Christmas season. Take a look at what the psalmist David has to say about walking in darkness. Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There it is. That's the darkest valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Let's pause there for a moment. That seems difficult. How can we walk in the midst of darkness at death's door, death? emotionally, death physically, death spiritually, death relationally? How can we walk amongst the darkness of death and not fear? What can I just tell you? By yourself, fear is the best it gets. Because by yourself, in your own attempt, in your own efforts, there is no hope. There is no way out. Darkness is all you've got. But the psalmist David understood the solution. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you 
are with me. Do you remember being a kid? And maybe you were laying in bed late at night and you heard that noise. Come on, anybody else like this? And you would get up out of your bed and you would tiptoe through the house and you would get to mom and dad's room. And sometimes if you were like me, I would look to make sure they're breathing. And then I'd walk over and I would just stand there. Because I knew that if I was in the presence of mom and dad, if I was just in the room where they were, it didn't matter what else was in the house, I was going to be okay. I had nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because they were with me. Guess what? The Bible says that God will never leave you. That God will never abandon you. That God will never walk away from you. In fact, he will go before you and make a path in front of you. So when we come to those moments, when we come to that place of the darkness of life, the darkness of death's door, if you've got a relationship with Christ, guess what? You, like the psalmist David, you have nothing to fear. Why? Because dad's with you. Because our Lord, our Savior, our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, our best friend walks side by side with us, even in the midst of darkness. People who walk in darkness, they'll see a great light. We don't have to be all alone. One translation calls this the darkest valley. Yea, though I walk through the darkest valley. Valley. I imagine a valley where you put your hand in front of your face and you can't even see your hand. You're not even sure where you are. You can't even see what's happening around you. Even though I walk in this darkest valley, I have nothing to fear because God walks close beside me. His light shines bright for me. It illuminates the path in front of me. His goodness illuminates my life. But I hear the question that you're thinking right now. Well, pastor, if that's the case, if God offers a light, if God offers true hope and light overpowers darkness, then why do we see so much darkness and so little light in the world? Have you ever thought about that? If God really is light, if God really is Hope, if God really has the answer, we're to be a light on the hillside for all to see. If that's really the case, then why do we see so much darkness in the world? Well, the answer is very simple. John 3, verse 19. The latter portion says this. God's light came into the world. Jesus came Into the world, for unto us a child is born. Jesus came into the world, but people loved, say it with me, the darkness. Our light, Jesus, our hope, came into the world, but the world, people, loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. See, the world pushes back against the light of God because it doesn't like when wrong is revealed, right? Think about that. 
The world doesn't like when when the sin is revealed, when the wrong behavior is revealed. So they would rather stay in the shadows where they can hide. Where they can avoid the light. So if this is the case, if the world would prefer darkness over light, then why does God love us? Why does God care enough to send Jesus to die on the cross? Why doesn't he just look down at this world and go, you know what, they deserve darkness because that's what they like? Well, the answer is simple. Go back just a couple of verses. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send Jesus his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world would be saved through him I want you to wrap yourself around this this morning Yes, God looked at this world. Yes, he saw the evil in this world. He saw those that were embracing the darkness time and time again. We read it in the scripture. We see it happening over and over and over again. We look around us today, and we see that happening, right? Yet God looked upon this world, and he said, you know what? I love them. Despite their failures, despite the shortcomings, despite the mistakes that they make in life, despite the fact that they embrace what will ultimately kill them, harm them, take them off course, I love them so much that I'm willing to give my one and only son. I'm willing to give part of me to die for them. Jesus came to die on the cross because he loves you. Despite your mistakes, despite the errors that you make in life, God loves you. See, oftentimes we read John 3, 16. Many of you in the room, many of you watching online, you probably were quoting that with me as I was saying it. But we fail to go to John 3, 17. Let me read it to you, to you again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send Jesus into the world to one by one shake his finger at us. Shame on you and shame on you and shame on you and you and you and you and you and you. Man, he'd be shaking his finger a lot, wouldn't he? Anybody in the room ever messed up? Like five of us. Yeah, we all make mistakes. The Bible says that. We all fall short. But Jesus' purpose wasn't to come down and go, man, I know what you did last night. Shame on you, Luke. No, but the world through him might be saved. 
Jesus paid a price that, that we could never pay on our own. We had a debt. And every time we tried to make an advance into that, we'd fall short and go further and further in the hole. But by the grace of God, God so loved you that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, that through him, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, once and for all, we could be saved. We have hope. We have a light available to us today because of the love of God, a love for every single one of us in the room. Jesus said it this way in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Isaiah prophesied those that walk in darkness will see a great light. And here Jesus comes on the scene. Here is Jesus offering himself. He says, I'm the light. I want to illuminate the darkness that you're in. I want to bring you out of that death's door moments. I want to bring you to a place of hope. Just as Isaiah prophesied, those that were walking in darkness of life, they don't have to stay there because a long-awaited hope, the long-awaited light is here to shine bright, not just in their lives, but in our lives today. In this season of darkness, God promised to send a light that will shine on everyone. And then we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we're not called to stay in darkness. Did you know that we weren't created to live in darkness? Have you ever tried to walk through your house in the middle of the night? I don't know about you, but I have yet to be successful in that. There's always going to be something that got moved the day before. Something that one of the kids, or oftentimes the cats, leave sitting in the middle of the floor. There's always that footstool next to the chair in the bedroom that I, I find very quickly with the middle toe. Why? Because we weren't created to live in the dark. We were created to be in the lights. We thrive in the light. Vitamin D, sunlight. It nourishes our emotional life. It nourishes our being and our existence. Think how much more being in the light of God speaks into us. We weren't created to live in the darkness. We were called to come out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Look at Revelation number two. Number one, there is light amidst the darkness. Number two, there is a release from bondage. There is a release for bondage. According to dictionary.com, bondage is described as the state of being bound by or subject to some external power of control. The state of being bound by or subjected to some external power or control. 
What is it today? I want you to look deep down inside of yourself. Don't answer for somebody else, but just for you. What is it that you have found that you are bound to or subjected to that you just can't seem to shake? It feels as if there's a a power or a control over you that seems to be overpowering. You just can't get rid of. That's what God wants to set you free from today. Isaiah 9 verse 4. For you, God, you will break the yoke of slavery. For unto us a child is born, and Jesus will break that yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling the weight of the world, the weight of 2020, the weight of crisis, the weight of difficulty. See, for the land uh, where Isaiah was, there was a great bondage in the land. And Isaiah made this prophecy about Jesus. He tells them that just as with God's help, Gideon broke the yoke, the bondage of the Midians over Israel, that God was going to break the bondage of the Assyrian army. So I would say to you today, likewise, God is here today to set you free, to break that bondage, to break that control in your life, to give you that long-awaited hope. But there are some of you here today that you're, you're justifying the bondage. We say, well, it's, it's really no big deal. It's not really hurting anybody at all. It's all good, pastor. The problem is that bondage experience, that moment is amidst the darkness of life. We find ourselves walking at death's door. Truth be told, it's the very thing that is keeping us under lock or kept down or chained to the darkness of life. But Jesus says it this way in John chapter 8, verse 34 and 36. He says, I tell you the truth. Aren't you glad that Jesus tells the truth? I tell you the truth. Everyone, say that with me, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son. A son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free... You are truly free. One translation says you are free through and through. Man, I love that scripture. I love grabbing a hold of that idea that that Jesus doesn't just do a little bit of work in our lives. He doesn't come up and say, you know what? Michaela, I'm going to band-aid the issue in your life. I'm just going to put a little band-aid on top of things, maybe a little ointment, and it'll be okay. You'll get past this. But the problem is we don't deal with it, and we got all that junk occurring under the band-aid. God says, no, 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 no. Let me take care of this at the roots. I'm going to set you free from this bondage. 
Here's the deal. Sin is going to bind you back to that old life time and time again. But the good news is there is a way out. There is a release. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life. Maybe you've never asked him to come in and and be your Lord and Savior. Well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is your moment. Now is your time. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you found yourself returning to that old life over and over. The Bible says a fool returns to his folly or his foolishness just as a dog returns to his vomits. Do I need to expound upon that this morning? How foolish is it for us to continue to return to the very thing that causes us to get sick over and over and over again? Yet here the Bible says the Son will set you free. The Son will give you a release that through and through, truly free by the price that Jesus paid on the cross, no more remains of bondage, no more evidence. The Bible says that when he forgives you, he casts your sin as far as to be from the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Never to be brought back up again. Why? If the sun sets you free, you are free through and through. Look at Revelation number three. There is victory available over Satan. There is victory available over Satan. Look at verse four, the latter portion. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroy the army of Midian. Well, first, let's define oppressor. What is, it, what is an oppressor? What does that mean? Well, according to the dictionary, an oppressor is one that crushes or burdens by abuse of power. One that crushes or abuses uh, burdens by abuse of power. So who is the one doing that? Who's the oppressor in our life? Whether you believe it or not, you have an enemy. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy you. John 10.10, the thief's purpose. Satan's purpose, why he exists. His purpose, what he does is he steals, he kills, he destroys you. He does everything he can to affect your now and your forever. But again, we have hope. We have a hope that is here to break the oppressor's rod, to destroy the very thing that Satan uses against us. Everyone here today those watching online, every one of our rods looks different. The oppressor, what he uses, what the enemy uses, looks different. For some of you in the house today, it's the regrets of the past. It's failures. It's things you've done. Mistakes you've made. Satan will pull that rod out time and time again. He'll say, remember this? Remember what you did? You're no good. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. 
You make too many mistakes. You mess up too much. You're worthless. You're no good. He waves that rod in your face over and over and over again. But can I tell you this morning, if you've given it to God, it's gone. It's gone. Maybe for you it's the rod of unforgiveness. You've been holding a grudge as a result of something that someone has done to you. For some of you, that grudge is recent. Others of you, you've held on to that rod of resentment for many, many years. Today, God wants to set you free from that weight. For others, maybe it's the bondage that we talked about in Revelation number two regarding Regardless what form that rod takes, Jesus is ready to break it, to release the control that it has on you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this, For he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. Let that sink in. If you've asked Jesus to come into your life, the Bible says you're a new creation. That old life, that old rod, it's not here anymore. You're brand new, and, and he that's in you, Jesus, is greater than he, our enemy, Satan, that's in the world. Let me take this a step further, Romans chapter 8. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you've given your life to Jesus, that rod is broken. The enemy has no more control over you. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Oh, come on. That's good stuff right now. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Why? Because you have been set free. Do you see that? Because Jesus has broken that rod of yesterday, that rod of regret, that rod of fear, that rod of sin, whatever it happens to be. He's broken that rod. You have no obligation to do what the enemy, what the old lifestyle urges you to do but I've got some good news. I'm going to give you point number four. Next week, we're going to dive into it a bit more. Here's the good news. Jesus is given for all. For unto us, a child is given. For you and for me, the Messiah has come. That hope is here for us today. Jesus is given for every single one of us. So what does that hope mean to you? Well, I would challenge you. Don't push it aside. Don't cast it away. 
But step out of the darkness today and step into his marvelous lights. Step into his hope. Would you pray with me? God, I pray right now for every person in this room. Lord, there are those that have yet to give their hearts to Jesus. Lord, they've walked around in darkness or hanging out in darkness. Would you, would you lay your light, would you lay your hope in front of them today? Lord, there are others that have been enticed by yesterday. That old lifestyle. They've given their life to you, but they keep running back to the foolishness. Lord, I pray that you will help them, God, to move forward in the freedom that you've given them. Lord, help them to embrace the lights today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, a question that I ask every single week, most important question you'll ever be asked, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? See, the Bible says that, that if we confess our sins to him, if we tell him what we've done, if we lay it out there, he's faithful. He's just. He'll not only forgive us of all of our sins, but he'll put us in right standing with the Father. Because of the price that he paid on the cross of Calvary, we can have hope, forgiveness, and a future with him. If you're here today, you haven't given your life to Jesus. Maybe you did years ago and you want to return to him. Maybe you never, ever have. But today you say, Pastor, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me, to come into my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you let me pray with you today? All across the house. I'm going to give you just a moment. We're going to move on. Is that you? And it's okay. This is the greatest decision you'll ever make. The greatest response is to say, Jesus, come into my life. If that's you, raise your hand. Second question is this. You're here today and you say, I've got a relationship with Jesus, but I find myself man, just walking in the darkness. Being bound by the rods of yesterday shortcomings, my failures, resentment, hurts. I don't want darkness to overtake me. I want to step out. I want to come into the light. If that's you today, would you be bold enough to say, yeah, pastor, I need prayer. Would you raise your hand? Is that you? Yeah, there's one. Come on, is that you? It's okay. There's two. It's okay. God's got this. God loves you. Would you stand with me all across the house? If I can get some of my prayer partners to come, I need a few of my prayer partners to come this morning. Just line the front of the room. As 
the worship team begins to lead us in this song, if, if you responded to their altar call, you responded to one of these questions this morning, or maybe you've got a situation, you've got a need in your life, you need God to step into it, I'm going to invite you to leave your seat, to come and let one of our prayer partners pray with you and encourage you this morning. Then we're going to come back and we'll wrap up the service. But would you come? Would you let